This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life. Only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and we've got an author, a motivational speaker, a professor, uh, all sorts of stuff. Colby Juvenville, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, Brett. Thanks for allowing me to be with you and be with your audience and, and look forward to sharing some ideas with you that may provide some insight to them. So I appreciate the time to be with you today. Absolutely. Have no doubt, based on what I've learned about you, that you will do a great job of that today. So thanks for being here. So <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, I know you're down in the Nashville area, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And uh, why don't you just kind of tell us uh, what's made you the man you are today and uh, how you've climbed to where you've gotten today? Well, it, it's, it starts with my mom and my dad, for sure. And, and I am in Murfreesboro. And uh, you can sell used chewing gum in Murfreesboro and make money. So I don't know if, it's, <laughs> if, I, if I'm that talented or not or just happen to be really, really fortunate. But, Brett, I was born to two educators that taught me that the way you take on the world is to become an educator marry an educator and educate other people. And that works all the way up until you want these things called lifestyle and freedom. And at that point, you have to stop and reassess. And my wife came home about 10 years into us being married in tears one day and said, uh, I can't do this anymore. I can't teach anymore. And so I said, well, quit not thinking that she really would. And she said, well, you know, what are we going to do? We've built our entire life around this idea of both of us sharing that load together. And I said, well, Katie, if you don't quit, we'll, we'll never know. And so I wrote the letter. I gave it to her, not thinking that she would sign it. And she signed it and she quit. And that is when I decided to start getting paid for my value and no longer get paid for my time. And you did say, and your audience heard that I am a college professor. And you know what the saying is, and it's okay to finish this for me. And I want you to. The saying about college professors is what? Those who can do and those who can't teach and those who can't teach, teach PE. And that's exactly right. And so when I when I heard that early on in my career, I didn't know how to respond to it. But today, when people say that, here's my response. When you can do and teach, you get paid for your value and not your time. And so the, the catalyst, the trigger point in terms of me reassessing my life and getting paid for value and not time was when my wife came home. I started this little agency called Red Herring Innovation and Design. I started with a good friend of mine named Ernie Gray out of Nashville. Uh, I didn't know who my ideal client was. I didn't know uh, how to write a proposal. I thought that if I just kept them going and didn't get to know that I would get bigger deals. I thought if I wrote 45-page proposals versus one-page proposals, I'd get better deals. I made every mistake that you could possibly make. And so I'm going to be vulnerable with you and your audience and, and share this moment, let you step into my life for a moment. 
Um, I still remember like it was yesterday. Katie, uh, Katie was at home. Kids were running around. Chaos was unfolding right there in front of us. And she said to me, it was was an afternoon one day, and she said to me, you know, you must feel like such less of a man that you can't even take care of your family. And I got right up in her face, and I've known my wife since I was in seventh or eighth grade. I got right up in her face, and I said, Katie, I'm going to make it big one day. And when I do, you'll be the first one to thank me. And in that moment, I decided that I need to go get around people better than me. I need to start asking very important questions critical to how do I grow this business, and I need to use that adversity to accelerate my growth. And so the true change and catalyst for me, there's so many stories along the way, but in terms of I think those people that are, are listening to us today and, and maybe they're at a, a crossroads of their life, that was the moment for me where I decided it was time to get paid for my value rather than my time. Well, that's big. That's very big. And, uh, and you're doing that right now. So congrats on that. And, uh, well, and I don't you. feel, I don't feel that way that if you can't do it, you teach. I just said that because I know that's what you said. <laughs> doing it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, you know, I think it, it's a way to disarm the audience a little bit, but I think, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, you know, if you look at healthcare, if you look at education, if you look at religion, you know, at, at some point, every one of these social institutions becomes self-serving. And so the, the way I've been able to build the career that I've built, the way that I've been able to cre- create the relationships that I've created is is focusing on being the best of what matters most. And so I wake up every day knowing what matters most to these kids. And it's the same thing that matters most to you. And it's the same thing that matters most to me. It's how do I create a bigger future? And so I, I always keep that front and center. It's why I started the Center for Student Coaching and Success on the campus of Middle Tennessee State University. It's why I was able to um, build a relationship with a guy that committed a seven-figure gift to that center. And uh, it's the philosophy that drives every decision that I make in terms of how I build relationships with clients. Be the best at what matters most. And that comes from my good friend Joe Calloway who you need to have on the show, Callaway wrote a book called Be the Best uh, at What Matters Most, the only strategy you'll ever need. And so I called Callaway one day and I said, Joe, you know, your books are so good that uh, you don't need to read them because the titles tell you exactly what you need to do. And he goes, I know, Colby, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very cool. But he wrote, two, he wrote two fundamental books that changed my life, that one and then the other one is um, – Category of one, how to transcend commodity and defy comparison. Two very important books in my life. So when you think about um, your life, I know right now you're, you're helping people to really do a couple things. I mean, lots of things, but these two specifically stuck out to me is uh, helping people become better known and better understood in the world. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, I appreciate you um, framing it up that way. It took me 15 years to come up with that simple sentence that I specialize in helping people and organizations become better known, better understood, and better understand the unique value that they deliver. And I got that idea uh, through reading a book called Being Michael Porter. And he is he is probably the foremost expert in, in strategy, in corporate strategy. And he said this, and it's, I always look for just one. I have ADD, if your audience can't tell. I have ADD, serious ADD. And uh, I always look for one idea in a book. And, and then once I find that one idea that sticks with me, then I put the book down. And I was reading this book, and it said, it said, um, at the heart of strategy is competition. And at the heart of competition is not being the best. It's about the unique value that you deliver. 
And I thought to myself, man, that's that's powerful. It's not about being the best. It's about the unique value that you deliver. And so I wrote it up on my whiteboard and I said to myself, well, what is unique value made of? I mean, that, that's a great idea, but how can I teach others how to, number one, develop and number two, communicate their unique value? And so unique value to me is made up of these three simple ideas. Unique perspective. This is how you see what you do. Unique education. This is how you know what you do. And unique experience. This is how you deliver what you did. And so I want to go back and answer your specific question about better known and better understood. Brett, we are taught we live in a world that's blurry, noisy, distracted, full of distractions. And we're taught this simple idea that if you want more, then you got to have more education, more opportunity, more relationships. In reality, if you want more, you got to first have more of yourself. And so being better known is not about a marketing strategy. It's not about a business card. It's not about a website. It's about telling the truth, feeling your feelings and giving it up to what could be. And the minute that you understand this idea the people that show up and want to be in a relationship with you, it fundamentally changes how you approach those relationships, the opportunities that are present and presented to you yeah. in the way you see the world. So to yeah. me, I agree being, with that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we look at is I talk about my wife and I even talk about, you know, transparency leads to intimacy, right? And, yeah. and, and not in a relationship way of what, you know, intimacy can be, but just in a relationship, even in a business relationship, right? And the more transparent and vulnerable I can be, as you stated earlier, we're already connected more, right? Yep. Yep. And so I think that's important. It, it's, it's, it's very important. It's how I can secure seven figure gifts. It's how I build relationships with some of the top CEOs um, in, in certain uh, industries throughout the United States. And so it, you, you bring up a really good point. And, and, and transparency to me leads to vulnerability. But let me walk you through that framework. Everything, when I sit down and talk and coach with people, I build everything in frameworks. And it's much like the shortest story in the history of the world written by Hemingway. And it's six words. The story is for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And so once I read that, I thought to myself, I need to be able to walk out into an audience and give them very simple, powerful ideas that they can take back today and use them in their business and their life and their relationships. And so let, let's visit. Let's stand in that moment and talk about vulnerability and transparency. It starts. Everybody thinks these relationships starts with trust. And, and that's not true. We say things like this. I need to trust you, Brett. You need to trust me. We need to trust the process. We need to trust each other. But if you really start to look at this, and it's happening here with you and I right now, if you really start to look at this, it, it, it's important to understand what the foundation of trust is. And the foundation of trust to me in business and relationships is safety. And safety, you go, oh, man, Colby, that's some big, good Ph.D. stuff there, man. That's really cool. Tell me how that works. And here's how it works. If the foundation of trust is safety, safety looks like this. Am I known? Am I heard? Am I valued? Am I important? Does my opinion matter? And so when I lean into conversations from the very beginning, I sat with Trey Hargett, the Secretary of State of Tennessee, Mike Krause, the, the uh, Executive Director of Tennessee Higher Education Commission. And I said, gentlemen, it took me six months to get on your calendar. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. I'm going to tell you the truth. 
I'm going to explain to you the reality of where we are and the magnitude of where we are. And then you're going to have to decide whether or not you want to move forward with this. And so I said it starts with being known, being heard, being valued, being important and knowing my, my opinion matters. That is the foundation of trust. Then you move into trust. Then and only then you can move into being truly open and honest because you've built this container of trust. Once you establish that, you move into transparency, then you move into vulnerability. That's the framework. That's the hierarchy of moving into uh, to vulnerability. Well, I think that's huge too because I, for me, I don't know. If, I'm sure you're this way, busy guy, right? So I don't, I don't like fluff. But it seems like in today's world, there's all these emails that go around, right? And people want yeah. something but aren't willing to say what they want. Yeah. And so it was, it was. I had an experience yesterday. It was pretty cool. I had a guy that I wasn't getting back to him. I've been on vacation. I've, you know, it's been just busy, busy, right? And so he leaves me another email and says, I'm just going to get to the point. Here's what I want. And he boom, 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 boom. Yep. I read that. I immediately called him. I'm like, yep. that's what I want, right? And that's what I, I think that I'm hearing that inside of all the stuff that you're talking about as well. We live, and that's the way I operate. And look, some people can't handle that, and that's okay. That, that is okay. And so, I mean, my favorite way to frame this up is in, when Jerry Maguire, he writes his mission statement, right? And it's that document. I've actually found it online. It's really cool. But, he, but the, the title of the mission statement is the things we think and do not say, the future of our business. Hmm. And so I would challenge your audience to, to step back and to look at how they have conflict with other people how they can create healthy conflict, because we know that that dysfunction creates artificial harmony. We know that that dysfunction creates uh, a de facto structure, structure, and ultimately it's going to take having somebody come in and address that container of trust and how you should build it in order to, for them to have the kind of relationships that truly can move the needle. So when you, uh, I'm, I was writing down notes here, sorry, so, but I heard you once, I'm like, this is good stuff. Uh, I heard you once say in, in, a, in an interview, um, you, you quoted, you were, uh, who are you waiting on for yeah. permission? Uh, yeah, so who are you waiting on for permission from <laughs> to be, to be successful. successful? Right. So let's talk about it. So like, yeah, I think so many people do think that, right? It's like the timing's got to be right or something's got to be right in their life for them to be successful. And so much of it is us taking the bull by the horn and getting it done to be successful. So tell us about that situation. Don Shula says it best. He says, don't let the start stop you. So many people let the start stop you. Um, I, I don't, I don't know where I got this bread. I think I got it. You know, the cool thing about my, my dad is he's my stepdad and, and he's been responsible for me since I was one year, one years old, one year old. And his name's Wayne Williams. And I call it the Wayne Williams school for better living and better people. And, and we laugh about it now. But the, the things that he taught me along the way, and I'll just share this one story with you that I think you'll find, find funny. We, we moved to 635 Tuthill Lane down in Spring Hill in Mobile, Alabama. And I thought, man, we had arrived. We are living on Tuthill Lane. And so he, this, this yard, if you stood at the bottom, you know, it was about a, about a, a, I don't know, a 20-foot incline up to the top. And he went down to Sears. And I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and he bought a manual lawnmower. And I'd never seen one of those before. And he took, took it out of the box. He put it together. He sharpened it. He said, now, listen, 
you're going to cut this grass and you're going to use this lawnmower. And you need to, it's going to take you some time. So you need to, here's how you sharpen a blade. The sharper the blade, the more, the more progress you can make, the faster you can cut this grass. So it took me about six hours the first time I cut that grass. And I came out and I showed him. He goes, man, it looks great. And I said, Dad, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And I said, why won't you, uh, why won't you use a gas mower? <laughs> why won't you buy a gas mower? He goes, well, son, I, I just don't like the noise. <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> I said, well, Dad, you, you're inside. He goes, yeah, I, I can still hear it. I, I just don't like it. But here's the thing. I got to the point where I was so frustrated with cutting that grass with that thing that I finally went to him and I said, I will pay for it myself. Let's go down to Sears and buy a self-propelled gas mower. And man, I looked at a hundred different mowers. I picked out the exact one. I paid for it. And my dad said, you know what would be cool for you is if you just go ahead and just start a business with that. And all of a sudden I looked up and knocked on all the doors on Tudhill Lane. I found three yards to cut and that became my first hard skill cutting grass. And so if I look back on it now, and that's just one of so many powerful stories that, that Wayne Williams taught me along the way. But if I look back on it, what he was teaching me, and it's what great coaches taught me, is how to use adversity to accelerate growth. And so the guy that said that to me, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it like it is. We, we philosophically don't agree about how the world should be or, or relationships. We just don't see it the same way. But it was a powerful, and I, and I don't really stay connected with him anymore, and that's okay. But it was a powerful moment for me because he said to me, who are you waiting on permission from to be successful? And that bothered me so much. I said, I leaned into him, and, and I said, man, do you know who I am? I, I, I'm Colby Jim. This is what I do, man. And he said, I'm not talking about this stuff in higher education. He said, I'm talking about getting out here in the real world and doing it. And I came back to my wife and it was right about that time. All these things started to happen. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm really standing in my truth, he's right. Who am I waiting on permission from? And I've had some success. I just hadn't had success like I have today. And so that was a powerful moment for me. And I think that that's a great takeaway from your audience. Who are you waiting on permission from to be successful? There is no right time to ever, as you know, to do anything. Your life now. And, and so what do you think of every morning? It's always a, a powerful question, I think, because that first thought in the morning is always the one that's going to drive the day, right? So what's, what's yeah. normally going on in your mind every morning? I've never, I've never thought, I've never been asked that before. I guess that if I'm being honest, the first one is, thank God I'm, I'm, I'm 45. Thank God I'm awake today. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I never used to, th I never thought that way, uh, man, my stuff's not going to be deep there. Um, here's what I do know. Our confidence is under attack every day. We do not teach people how to protect, develop and maintain their confidence. The greatest definition of confidence I have ever heard comes from a sports psychologist who said confidence is the memory of success. Confidence is the memory of success. And so what I do is I meet uh, a good friend of mine who is who is probably my favorite client. His name is John Floyd. He owns Old South Properties. We have been through uh, we have been at the foot of the cross together uh, about eight, ten years ago when the economy turned down. Uh, I got in a boat with him and helped him look differently at his business and uh, and and helped him look differently at himself and relationships. And we weathered that storm together and built a powerful bond. 
And one of the things that he taught me, and he's about 10, 12 years ahead of me, very, very successful, sells about 800 homes a year, and uh, no nonsense, um, one of the most compassionate, caring, vulnerable people I've ever met. And we meet at the gym at 5 a.m. almost every morning. And if I'm not there, he starts texting me and saying mean things to me. So that's that's the first thing I do every morning to protect my confidence is get on that get on that uh, treadmill and get it going. Well, I think to that point, then accountability. Let's talk about that. So, I mean, yeah. what's accountability look like in your life? So, obviously, the workout, but the people you're helping in today's world. Yeah. What is uh, important about accountability? Well, it starts with yourself. There, there is nobody. There is nobody that holds themselves to to the standards of of what has to get done more than me. And, and it starts and it stops with me. And, and I think that if you if you really want to get accountability accountability down to basics first, and I try to do that with everything. Here, here's what I tell you. I wrote a I wrote a little blog. I, I write for the Washington Times, and if you'll just search Colby Jubenville Washington Times, I think you'll find some great some great blogs there. My son Jack is 15, and Jack so desperately wants an identity. Jack is so much. Um, I, I hear so much of me and him that it scares me sometimes. And and Jack came to me uh, in tears uh, over the last six months, uh, wanting to desperately to be so great in athletics. And and I said, Jack, I sat Jack down and I said, Jack, uh, I played in college. I got a scholarship in college. I wasn't that good. I just would outwork anybody. And I said, if you really want this, you have to get to the point where you go up to that weight room, you find a coach that will invest in you, and you come out and where you can barely stand up. And the minute that you start doing that, you'll start to see change. And so he came to me about um, two or three weeks later, and he said, take me up to the gym before you drop, before you go to the workout at Gold's. Take me up to the gym starting at 5 o'clock and pay this coach this amount of money. And I said, you got it. And here's the cool thing. He's 15. I would have never had this self-discipline at 15. I had had pe- if people motivated me, I would do it, but I had to have somebody push me at, at that stage of life. And at 15, he gets up every morning, and if I'm not up, he'll start texting me, "Get up! I need you to take me." And um, and, and that's powerful. And so here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for your audience. And I said to Jack, "You do these four things in terms of accountability." And you'll start to see progress. And progress, by the way, is a natural motivator. Communicating progress is a natural motivator. Here's number one, show up on time. Here's number two, do what you say you're going to do. Here's number three, if you can't, tell them why. And here's number four, use your manners. Hmm. And if you'll do those four things in terms of being accountable to yourself and to other people, those little things will turn into even bigger opportunities along the way. Show up on time, do what you say you're going to do. If you can't, explain why and use your manners. That's how I'm accountable to other people. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, all those are critically important. I think uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is do what you say you're going to do. And if you're not doing it, it drives me nuts. Well, and the reality is, Brett, you know this, is sometimes, and I'm bad about this, and I have to be careful, you know, optimistic people are constantly late. And I'm usually about two or three minutes late, but it's because I get so wrapped up in the moment with somebody that I can't get out of it. So I explain that. And so I think if you are very clear about this is what you're going to do, and you also use that technique of if you can't explain why, that's the that's the critical conversation. That's the hard conversation to have. That's what that's what it takes to really build that relationship. I thought we'd be here. 
in 90 days, but we're not. But here's where we are, and here's where we started. And I think in 30 days, we can be there. And I think if you'll take that approach, that it will remove some of that conflict and some of that, uh, that fear that holds us all hostage. Yep. So what, what, when you hear the word success or successful, what comes to mind for you, and how do you define success? Love that question. Uh, have an answer. Um, if you look at uh, how we typically define success in America, let's just start with the basics. We keep score in America with, with bank accounts. And, and, and you just have to decide. Colin says it in good to great. He talks about the economic engine. And you just have to decide for yourself what your economic engine looks like. That's one. Here's, here's three or four definitions of success I think we typically use. The setting and achieving a worthy goals. And that, that is something we're taught from an early age. If we have parents that truly invest in us, you set and achieve uh, worthy goals. Uh, I think goals are some of the most overused and underdone words in America. And I use the word dominant focus, and I can talk about that here in just a second. Um, the second idea related to success, and athletes know this one, it's picking yourself up off the ground just one more time, of which I've done multiple times. Picking yourself up off the ground just one more time. The third is the continued expansion of happiness. Are you happy? Are you happy? You better be. I just want you to be happy. And then, so those are what I think are the standard Americana answers. But I was driving down the road one day. I was listening to a podcast. This is a defining moment for me. And and this this guy's talking about success. And he says, you know, the greatest definition of success that I've ever heard comes from a guy named Thoreau. And when I heard it, I had to pull the car over and I wrote it down and I memorized it. In that moment, because it was so powerful for me and it was a reflection of my life. And it's really what I think we're here to do and the opportunity we have to make investments in other people. But Thoreau said success is to advance confidently in the direction of your own dream and to endeavor to live a life that only you can imagine where you will find uncommon success in common hour. This podcast that you started, this relationships that you've created, the real estate opportunities you've built for you and your family are all reflections of you advancing confidently in the direction of your own dream and you endeavoring to live a life that only you can imagine. The books that I write, the agencies that I start, the center for student coaching success that I've built, it's not anybody else's, it's mine. And the very first thing we have to teach people how to do is, number one, teach them how to advance confidently, which there is skill sets related to that. And then number two, to get them to dream the dream. And so that's the opportunity that I think we have when we make investments in other people is to teach them those two basic things, how to advance confidently and how to envision the dream. Well, I think you must have my uh, office wired and, and with, with cameras because what you don't know is I have that quote framed right over here to my left and read ah. it every day. <laughs> so I believe it. I, I absolutely believe it as well, man. That's my definition. And, and we talked about this too, is I don't like that sometimes, like you said, it's the bank account, right? And yeah. that stuff's important and all that stuff. But you know, success in my life is whenever I'm in front of somebody, that person's definition of success, that's what it is for me. Yeah. Whoever I'm trying to impact, that's their definition. So that's what it's got to be. So so what would you do? And I know you've been asked this question probably a bunch, but what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? <laughs> it's either good or bad that he's laughing like that on this question. <laughs> I've never been asked that before. Well, I I failed so many times. I don't even know what to think about that. I, <laughs> I know I'd be a rock star. There, take that. I would. I would like be the lead singer of Van Halen or something. I, that's right. what I do. <laughs> I like it. Take some courage to get up there and do that. 
Hey, I was a conversation at Millsaps down in Jackson, Mississippi. And part of what we, every band that came through there, part of the deal was I had to, I was, I was in the contract. Colby Jubenville could get on stage and sing Wild Thing. And we would just close that place down. That singing that awesome. Thing. That thing back in the day. So that's what I'd be. I know I can play G, D, and C on a guitar. And when I get brave enough and have enough courage, I'll get up and play in front of other people. And I'm not really good. But yes, if I couldn't fail, I would be a rock star. You'd be a rock star. I like it. Get the crowd going. So yep. what, uh, what risk are you happy you took in your life? Uh, so many. Um, there were two guys at Southern Mississippi where I ultimately did my Ph.D. that told me I wasn't good enough and that I'd never get a Ph.D., and I got my Ph.D. at 27, and I got full professor at 35. Never got any awards. Um, was never doctoral student of the year. But I'd put my body of work up against anybody in higher education. And so it would have been easy to pack up and, and, uh, and take it back down to Mobile and be carrying Wayne's son and, and, and coach and teach at St. Paul's. But uh, in 2015, I was uh, awarded uh, selected as the 2015 Distinguished Alumni Award winner at St. Paul's in Mobile, Alabama, which I consider to be one of the finest independent day schools in the country. And I recognized the people that had the greatest impact on me, and those were those were the coaches, and and great coaches for me: Charlie Miller, Bob Rutledge, Charlie Ship, Scott Atkins. You know, they taught me three things. Great coaches did three things for me. Number one, they made me have conversations I didn't want to have. And number two, they made me do things I didn't think I could do to ultimately become number three, what I didn't think I could become. And all that takes risk. And so uh, there's so many different things along the way. I started a college football team in 1998 at Bellhaven College in Jackson, Mississippi, with a guy named Norman Joseph. And you want to talk about a huge risk. I called him every day, and I left this same message. Coach Joseph, my name's Colby Jubenville, and you don't know me, but I'm going to call you every day until you call me back. And he finally interviewed me down at a Waffle House in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And you know what it's like to interview on your first interview. And then multiply that by 40 by being in a, a, a Waffle House. And, and right. the, funk, the funk that's in a Waffle like it's like interviewing an Exxon bathroom. I mean, it's just disgusting. But, <laughs> um, but I closed the deal. And he said, you know what? We got to the end of it. He said, Colby, you don't know anything about coaching offensive line. I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, but you know what you do know? You know how to recruit. And if I hire you, and you come on here, can you sign 30 kids a year? And I said, Coach, you bring me on. I'll sign you 45, 15 of them be all conference, and they'll stay for four years and graduate. And he said, now, look, I can't pay you today. I need you to start today, but I can't pay you till the next budget cycle starts up. And I said, Coach, I'll meet you today. If you today, I'll start today. I'll meet you in the morning. You tell me the time, and I'll bring you a cup of coffee. And he said, you be at my office at 530 in the morning. I was there at 430 waiting on him with a cup of coffee and went through a process of starting a college football team from the ground up that forever changed my life and, and how I saw the world. Wow. That's impressive, my man. That's very impressive. Well, so what, when you look, go ahead. It's just, um, you know, I appreciate you saying that I really do. And, and, and when you're in that moment, I guess if I look back on it, I guess I could say, yeah, I think it is. But here's the crazy thing, Brett, is, and, and I'd love to know what you thought about this. And, hey, now I'm, t I'm hijacking your show. Um, hey, let's do it. Uh, I don't know if I chose that or it chose me. And some days when I'm looking around, I'm saying to myself, well, how, how did, 
did, did this choose me? I mean, I've got this wife that I've been married to for 17 years. The last thing my mother said to her was, Katie, he is so worth it, but he is the most difficult person on the planet to deal with. Just please don't ever leave him. <laughs> we drove <laughs> off. You know, and, and so um, you look at those things and, and, and you just ask yourself, man, did I choose this or did this choose me? I don't I don't know. I'm I'm very I'm never afraid to lean into it. I'm never afraid to, to step into that adversity. Well, I'm just impressed with it. And when I, when I make that comment, I mean, because I know what it's like to build something from scratch. And I know the blood, the sweat, the tears that go into that. And, and you know, hence the name of our firm, Visionary, Visionary Wealth Advisors. You know, the definition of visionary, why we named it that way, is a person with original ideas about yeah. what the future will or could be like. And so when we take people you know, in meetings every single day and we talk to them about futures and dreams and, and what life is all about. I mean, and, and I hear that and it's, it's, you know, it's a different industry. It's a football team, but it's the same thing, right? Totally. I mean, you had a vision, this other gentleman had a vision and you guys built something and that's special. Yeah. Hey, can, well, first that, that gave me chills what you just said. And, and so, um, I need to write that on my whiteboard right here, but can I share this one moment with you that kind of ties along with that, that I think you'll really appreciate maybe. Absolutely. A here. Um, we we were we were really challenged early on in, in recruitment retention and growth. We were starting this thing from the ground up. There was a piano in my office, and I could play it, but it sure wouldn't help me recruit the right people. And so we had the football office was right next to the the choral group here at this liberal arts school. So you could imagine the fun that we had with that every morning. Um, but Norman called me in one day, and he said, "We're losing people in the clothes. We are losing people in the clothes." We're losing people to Millsaps. We're losing people to Rhodes, Suwannee, Trinity Center, you know, all these different schools. And we need to figure out how we can close this thing up before they walk out of here. And so he said, hey, you go back to your office. You think through this. I'm going to think through this. And let's get back together and let's figure this out. What is it? What is it, it t intentionally? Just like you said, I mean, that gave me chills when you said a person with original ideas who, and I can't finish the rest of it because I've just got so much running through my mind right now, but I want to hear that again in terms of a visionary. But here was the vision. Here's what we, here's what we came up with. And, and I can't remember if he did it or I did it, but it just stuck with me. It's so powerful. We got in there and we had the mom, the dad, and the son, and the little brother and the sister. And we got it just to this. So, so in the final analysis, Bellhaven College football to us is about a letter jacket on your back, a ring on your finger, a diploma in your hand. It was a spiritual school with a spiritual mission. And so we said a walk with Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, once we crystallized it to, to the and you go, man, that's pretty simple. But once we were able to say that, it spoke to the mom. It spoke to the dad. It spoke to the kid. It spoke to the little brother and sister. And they said, we don't need to go look anywhere else. This is where we're supposed to be. So I, you're right. I mean, I, I think having that original idea of what will be is such a powerful statement for visionaries. Yep, absolutely. Very profound. I like it. I'm sending you the post, actually, so you can see it. It's on our oh, wall. Oh, great. Thank um, you. So when you, when you think about the struggles, whether it was back in the day recruiting these kids and they end up going to the other school or it's in today's world and, you, and you're trying to help a, a child or a business, whatever it may yeah. be. There's obviously struggles, right? We don't, it's not all just pie in the sky type stuff. So how do you push through those struggles? What does Dr. Colby do to push through those uh, struggles each day? Two things. Here's number one. 
I've learned that struggle teaches us three things, how to think better, how to communicate better, how to make better decisions. That's number one. So when you feel that adversity coming on, you don't ask, why is this, why is this happening to me? You ask, what is this trying to teach me? And then once you ask, what is this trying to teach me? You ask, what did I do to contribute to this? And so that is the mindset that I use when I start to feel that struggle in adversity. Because you, you got to run towards it. I, you don't run away. You know, we're naturally taught to what? Run away from the conflict. Run away from that. I don't run away from it. I run into it. Yep. Yeah, the, I heard a speaker one time talked about if you're going to get punched in the face, you actually want to lean into the punch instead of go away because you're going to give the guy more power to punch you the more you go away from it, which is, you know, it's contradictory to what we would think, right? It's like, get me yeah. out of the way of this thing, but no, you want to meet it so he doesn't get his full power going. So That's same right. thing with the struggles of everyday life, right? I agree. So, um, I agree. Yeah, so when you think about that, one of the things I always ask uh, the people on the show, and I love the question personally, it's probably why I ask it, right? But yeah. is fears, right? I, I'm driven by fear. I think a lot of people are driven by fear, of fear of failure, fear that they're not going to be successful. We put these fears in our mind. How many of those fears that you've put in your mind over the years have actually come true to the magnitude that you put them in your brain to be? Wow. None. None. That, that's the reason I ask it. So thank you for saying that. But I, I'm the guy. Right? I'm the, I'm that guy that puts these fears out. And, oh, this is never going to work. Or oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm too. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's like the Matthew Kelly is a good friend of mine. Matthew well, Kelly is a good friend of mine, and yeah. uh, and if you know Matthew, he he, I called him one time. I said, "When am I going to get out of this fear of failure?" And he said, "Fear of failure is good, actually. That keeps you going. So you got to have some of it." But he also talked about, and this is a great perspective for me. He's like, and I'll even ask you, "Have you been to Florida?" When I say the word Florida, what what comes to mind? <laughs> the Florida <laughs> You're talking football now, but when you think of Florida, most people think sunshine, beaches, great spot, right? But if you happen to go to Florida, so if there's 365 days in a year, I think it's something like 330 days a year there's sunshine in Florida. They call it the sunshine state. But there's 35 days that there's rain, right? And if you were to happen to go on those 35 days where there's rain, your perspective of Florida is going to be different than mine. Right. And so one, we got to put things in perspective to your point that you mentioned earlier. But then number two, you mentioned earlier, you're 45 years old. And if I told you that you could buy a stock that's 45 year old company that's had nothing but a track record of success, would you buy that stock? Yes. Yes, you would. Right. Well, then he told me, Brett, you're that stock. Right. I'm 39 years old today. I'm the 39 year old company that's had success. Why do I continually worry about fear? I would buy the stock, right? So I don't know what you think. When you hear that, what comes to mind? But that's the way I'm putting it in my mind to help me get through that battle every single day. Well, the the, the fear is real. And and I spent most of my life uh, making decisions based out of fear. And so here's, here's my response to that. If you pick up any newspaper, if you watch any media related to news, they're going to make you think about two very specific ideas. Here's number one. This is what you should be afraid of, and this is who you should blame. 
And if you let that creep into your mind, that fear that turns into scarcity, it finds its way into kitchen tables in our workplace. And so I don't operate from a place of scarcity anymore. I operate from a place of abundance of what could be. And so let me give you an example and relate that to maybe your audience can appreciate this framework. In our 20s, we're taught to get in the game. Doesn't matter what game it is. Hey, Brett, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to some kind of formal education. You're going to do something and you're going to get in a game. In our 30s, we're taught to move up in the game. Brett, you started here. By the time you're 30, you better be here. In our 40s, we're taught to stay in the game. Because those 30-year-olds are so damn good and it's hard, you better stay in this game. And what the science says in our 50s, we finally say, this is what I really want. And so I think being able to get over that fear, the very first thing you have to say is, this is what I really want. And I think when you know your why, anyhow, is possible, right? So I think you, you have to know your why, why you're doing it, and you have yeah. to know what you want. That's the only thing I think that, you know, people, and we talk about this, and we can talk about it if you want, but, you know, how do you find your motivation and inspiration and all that kind of stuff? I think those people that have to be motivated every single day, they don't know why they do what they do, and they don't know what their future looks like. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And and I, I for some reason, by the grace of God, serendipity, destiny, my parents, luck, fortune, found my voice early in life. And to me, the why is the intersection of talent and passion and conscience and need in the world. And so the, the, the voice that I found at St. Paul's in Mobile in 10th or 11th grade was to, to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. And the opportunity to be with you today in this moment and be with this audience is representative of the, the, the fact that I found my voice, the opportunity to, to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. And so I think... Here's what I think. I think we're taught at a very early age, hey, Brett, you can be anything you want to be. And then at 18, we say, hey, Brett, I don't care what you do. Just get, get out of my house. And then we go participate in what's called the big line. The big line is if you go to college, you'll get a job and everything will be OK. And then all of a sudden you get out into the world and you go screaming out there and you go, hey, world, look at me. I'm Brett. And Brett in the world goes, hey, Brett, watch this and punches you right in the face. And in that moment, you've got to decide whether you're going to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and really start to get intentional about the life and relationships that you want to create. Yeah. You get some good stuff, man. Um, what are you passionate about now that you wish you had more time to do? Well, I'm, I'm, it's not wish I'm going to do it. Um, I have gone through a um, reinvention transformation over the last uh, 18 months with the center for student coaching and success. And, um, I am now more convinced my resolve has never been stronger. My confidence has never been stronger that I've uncovered the gap, the challenging gap between approaching graduation, graduation and gainful, gainful employment. And so um, that that's, this is the case for college students. This is the case for people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s. And here's what it looks like. Uh, it starts with assessment. And I'm partnered with a company and I'm fascinated with this work and you should check it out and you should use it. It's called Harrison assessment. I don't yeah. know if, if you yep, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's this stuff. Uh, I just can't eat enough of it up. Julie sure and peak focus out of Atlanta, Georgia has partnered with me. And so watch how cool this is. I just finished up reading a dissertation and, um, 
no, I don't spend a whole lot of time. Somebody sent me this and said, you need to read this because this is exactly what you're doing. But what this dissertation said that was so fascinating to me was if you just give assessment, that creates some kind of change. If you just do personal coaching, that creates some kind of change. If you marry assessment with personal coaching, that creates significant change. And so what I'm going to spend the next 25 to 30 years doing is I'm going to combine personal assessment with personal coaching, and I'm going to create significant change within within people and organizations. Yeah, I mean, I believe in coaching. And, you know, you've talked to some of the athletes that have been on here to even some just other, you know, friends and successful people you know. I mean, how many people are wildly successful? They have a coach. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, no, even Tiger not. Woods in his prime, right? He had coaches. Michael Phelps has coaches. Hey, you know why? You know why? Because feedback is where we learn the most. Yep. Feedback is where we learn the most. And, and so, Brett, at some point in your life, you had a coach or a teacher that was going, hey, Brett, that sentence that you wrote is not the way you should write it. Coaches, my co- my football coaches, hey, Colby, look where your hand is. Look where your foot is. Look where your head is. Look where your eyes are. Feedback is where we learn the most. And so if you're sitting there listening to this podcast today and you're saying to yourself, I'm not getting any feedback, you're not getting any better. It's called the Peter Principle. We all rise to our highest level of competence. And the only way I believe that you can get through that incompetence is through coaching. Yep. What habits and rituals are you finding right now the best people in the world are doing? What are they doing each day to be successful? Well, I, mean, I, I go back to it starts if, – if I don't go out there and protect my confidence through, through physical fitness, I, you know, I, I check my competition stuff in at the door. The minute I took off my football fat pads, I said I never want to compete with anybody else in, in terms of athletics. But protecting your confidence through, through some kind of uh, – some, some kind of physical activity is critical. I, I think um, um, being grateful. Um, I, I try to be grateful and 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 always think about the, the opportunities that have been put in front of me. You know, to me, you the greatest journal. Sorry to interrupt. Do you do a grateful journal? I, no, I don't. I, I'm not that. I'm not that sophisticated, or advanced, and and I should, <laughs> but but I don't. Um, but to me. Uh, I think the greatest thing that will help you is to not measure your life based on perfection, but measure your life based on progress. And so if you look at that, we took, you talked about sunny Florida and I said the Florida-Bama, by the way. That's a bar right on the Florida-Alabama. Oh, line. I thought you were talking about the Florida-Alabama football game. No, but the Florida – see, I'm going to have to get you one day, and we're, we're going to go to the – we call it – see, I'm from Mobile, so we call it the Bama. I don't know what people over in Florida call it, but it's a bar that sits on the Florida-Alabama line. It's called the Florida-Bama. So when you, say, when, you think of, when you think about Florida, what do you think of – I think about the many trips that – imagine a place where it's a combination of gangsters uh, – Bikers, uh, sorority chicks, uh, excuse me, I can't talk that way, sorority girls, fraternity guys, uh, 20-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 60-year-olds, I mean, just just everybody at different stages of life all getting around singing Jimmy Buffett music. I love it. I'm there. I'll meet you there sometime. So that's the floor of Bama, but if you start measuring progress versus perfection, the, the, the sunny, the sunny, beautiful state of Florida at some point that big orange round circle goes down into the water and it looks like it goes into the water, but it never really does at the horizon. That that's a mirage and perfection is too. And so 
I measure success on progress. And so here's what I mean by that is that I look at everything in 30, 60, 90 days. And so I say to myself, where was I 30 days ago and where I am today? And once you start to communicate progress, then progress becomes a natural motivator. And so the way that I do that, the way that I think successful people do that, is number one, you know what your dominant focus is. And to me, my dominant focus is to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. Once you know that dominant focus, every decision that you make is based off that. And so then here's what the system looks like. Can you do three things a day, five a week, 60 a month towards a dominant focus? Three a day, five a week, 60 a month towards a dominant focus. You build that system into your life, you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Another rider downer. So what uh, did you, did, let me ask you this, did you envision your success, do you think, or did you? are you shocked by it? Shocked. Um, I, I went through several stages. Um, I, I was at first a struggler. No, I take that back. I was first a reactor. My parents, my dad, Wayne Williams, the school of better living said, Colby, I'm going to give you the same opportunity. My dad gave me, I'm going to let you pay your entire way through school. And I was pissed at him. I went to school with a bunch of rich kids at Millsaps and, uh, I paid my entire way through school. When I got done, they sent me a letter and said, you went here four years. It was $18,000 a year. You played football and you owe $30,000, $20,000. And so, uh, I was mad at, at as hell about that, about the fact that I had to do that. And so I was a reactor. And here's what a reactor does. A reactor says, I am where I am because you put me there. And so for the longest time, I believed that I was going to end up being a failure because my parents, in fact, did not give me what I needed. To, and that, that, that's their fault. And then I became a struggler after I, I decided that reacting was not where I really was anymore. And a struggler says something like this, that success is for the rich and for the strong. And for the powerful, it's not for me. It's for somebody else. I'm just Colby Jeebenville from St. Paul's two, two teacher's kids. And then at some point I moved into a thinker. And the thinker's like, you know, someday people, man, someday I'll do that. Someday I'll be successful. And then at some point I woke up and I, and I said, you know, hey, if, 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 I'm, if things are going to change, I'm going to have to change. And, and I became a doer and achiever. And, you know, that's I think I think. If we're all being honest, Brett, I think all of us go through that process. But yep. I'm still I'm still shocked that that I can do what I do. I, I love it. I paid. I've I've worked my butt off, and and I've gotten better every day. And and I'm fortunate that I had some really 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 good people along the way that that pushed me and could see inside of me and knew me for who I really was. And so uh, I'm very fortunate to have those. It's crucial. Yep. It's crucial. So when you hear the word attitude, so we talk about the circuit of success and, and the pillars that uh, our listeners know about. When you hear attitude, what comes to mind for you? Well, it can either make you or break you. And, and um, there, there have been times in my life where for years, for years early in my life, I sat around and I felt sorry for myself. And... Um, and I said that I, I would say something like this and a practice cynic will kill almost anything. But I would say something like um, I could have been great. I could have been successful. How did my life end up here? And I'll tell you the exact moment it happened for me. Jack Jeebenville, who is the greatest gift that I've ever received, my little boy, um, Katie taught. And I moved all my classes tonight at night. In fact, she just sent me a, a deal over Facebook and 
she said, Colby, do you remember this? And it was Bear in the Big Blue House. And I mean, Jackie and I, we watched these videos all. The, do you remember Bear in the Big Blue House? Oh, yeah. So we used to watch it all the time. But I was sitting in the parking lot of, of the First Baptist Church here in, in Murfreesboro, and these people were saints. I mean, they are the most caring, loving, kindest people you'll ever meet on the planet. And I dropped Jack off one day, and I'm sitting there, and I'm running out the door to, to go to work to go up to MTSU and I start crying in my car and I thought to myself, I had every opportunity. I had every opportunity to figure out how that little boy could stay at home with his mother. And I didn't do it. And so it it was a powerful moment for me. And the fact that I said to myself, I'm going to change this. And I went out and I interviewed about four or five people and I brought him home and I said, at least I got to start there. And, and I felt like such a failure for such a long time. And, and then I, you know, it was all of that ride, the convergence, all of that right about the same time of, of, um, the Katie coming home and starting the business and writing the books and all those things, they all started to come together. So I think it takes those moments for you to really get, to really for you to get clear about what this is what I really want. Yeah. Well, I think what you said is crucial. I mean, a couple of things from that one. I just appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable and, and that's great. And, and, but number two, is you said, I had to change it, right? Yeah. Personal responsibility. You had oh, to yeah. change it. And that's what I say about attitude every day. It's right. I have a choice every single day on my attitude. Yeah. It can be good. It can be bad. Like you said, it's going to make you or break you. Right. Yeah. So now you see, now you see the word belief. That's the second pillar. I, I have my beliefs that, that, that I have to have for me to be successful. What are your beliefs? Well, I've shared two of them with you and, 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 and we could spend, you know, it's what's interesting to me is if you, if you start talking to people about this, they can tell you what they believe about their, uh, the country, uh, their family and their spirituality and religion. But if you ask them, no, what do you believe other than that? They cannot tell you. So I'll, t- I'll share with you two simple beliefs. Here's number one. We have two great opportunities. Uh, well, these, these are both of them here. We have two great opportunities with people. And the first thing I think you have to do is, is find your voice. And that's the intersection of talent and passion and conscience and need in the world. My good friend, Nate shot said this to me and, and I believe it to be true. He said, Colby, we are commanded to become the people that we were supposed to become in order to live the life that we're supposed to live. And so one of my beliefs is very humanistic in the sense that I need to help first. I need to first find my voice, the intersection of talent and passion and conscience and need in the world. And then I'm commanded to help other people find their voice. So belief number one is find your voice, help other people find their voice. Here's belief number two. Teach people how to develop, protect, and maintain their confidence. Confidence is the memory of success. If I can teach you and help you find your voice, if I can teach you and help you to protect, develop, and maintain your confidence, there is nothing that Brett can't accomplish. And that's where you got to start. And so that leads to activities. And so what are those activities that you believe each day people do, you do, whoever it may be, need to do to be successful each and every day? Three a day, five a week, 60 a month, high value activities, the highest value. So tell me about that again. So you go through that quickly. And so my, my slow brain says three, five. Okay. So three a day, three a day of what? Three a day, three. They're called high value activities. And so you, you, you only can, if I sat down with you and you're the CEO of a company and I said, Hey, Brett, 
what's the highest value of your time? Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you what that is. Well, if you can't tell me what it is, imagine what your people are doing. And so part of what you have to discern in the role that you are in is what is the highest value of your time? The highest value of my time, the activity, the high value activity is face to face meetings, being very vulnerable and empathetic that lead to other face to face meetings where I can be vulnerable and empathetic around people that are influencers and that drive change within the industries that I want to drive change in. So you asked me activities. Activity number one is can I set three meetings, three phone calls, three abilities, three ways. This is a high value activity. You know, Cam Greco, if you're listening to this, Cam, he, he's, he works with me over at the center. And I said to him, one of the things I want you to do because it's a high value activity is to reach out to every podcast that you can connect with and get me on as the show. It's part of building the message of the center and the platform, and it will lead to other people reaching out to us that have similar alignment in terms of belief and attitude and opinion and interest and those kinds of things. And so it took me a month just to get him to to get this thing lined up. And I said, Kim, this is a high value activity. So I think it's knowing what your high value activities are. Mine is that these podcasts are huge. I love them. I think that that um, the message that that if you get on on ones that are um, well done like this and they ask insightful questions that it can create powerful change for other people just sitting right there in the living room. So it's, it's knowing what your dominant focus is first. Before you know the activities, you got another dominant focus. And I've shared it with your audience and you. Mine is to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. Once you know that, then you can start to build high-value activities around that. Well, I think it's you know my aha moment on that is, and you've said that a few times today, teach and coach on an ever-increasing stage. You know it, man. You, you've got it drilled in. It's just in the back of your hand. It's just there. And so yep. that's something we all can work on. So. Yep. Uh, so let's, uh, let's have some fun here. A couple questions, uh, I always ask is, uh, I give you $10 million today. You can't give it to charity and you can't do your traditional, uh, you know, investing or paying off debt type stuff. What's Colby doing? Uh, Colby is, is starting a, um, gosh, you want my honest answer? No, I, <laughs> I built my version of the Floribama down there on the Alabama Florida line. No, I, um, I would build an organization that welcomes anyone that wants to get better and that is centered in coaching and assessment. I would build the greatest coaching and assessment company on the planet. I like That's it. I, I like it. And uh, what's at the uh, top of your bucket list? You know, life is about experiences. It's not about the material things. And so when, when you think of your experiences, what are the, what's at the top of your bucket list? If you knew you and Jack or you and your wife could go yeah. do something, what is it? Well, yeah. So one of my favorite things in the world, and, and, uh, and I've known Katie since seventh or eighth grade, I call it escapism. And, and we're going to actually do it uh, this weekend. I'm going down to speak at Gulf Shores. Uh, it's the mullet toss. And, um, down there in, in Mobile, right outside of Mobile and Gulf Shores. And uh, we won't know anyone, 
and we'll just get the, I'll put my Southern Miss visor on, I'll put my polo shirt on, I'll put my swim trunks on, and I'll just escape out into into the world and, and hold her hand and, and walk around and, and just be thankful that that I get to do the things I get to do. And so, you know, that is that is always a bucket list thing for me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a simple guy. I, I don't need to. I don't need to go anywhere, man. I mean, just, just having my daughter, Mary Burke, you know, that those moments that matter so much, you know, Mary Burke's a dancer, just like her mother. And she's about to go on stage and there's a thousand people in the audience. And I looked at MB, I call her MB. I'm Colby Burke. And so she's Mary Burke. She's real proud of that. <laughs> and I'll say, MB, are you sure? I mean, there's a thousand people out in this audience. Are you sure you can do this? And she looks at me and she says, daddy, I was born to do this. <laughs> oh, thought, man. God, you got more confidence than I do. And so right. for me, it's, 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 those are, those are bucket list moments for me doing those yep. things. Yep. That's key. That's crucial. Well, man, I've had a great time having you on the circuit of success podcast and uh, where can our listeners find more of you? Well, Hey, I'm just glad I finally was able to run you down. You know, I mean, you're a hard man to catch these days with all the stuff that you got <laughs> going on. So I appreciate you taking the time. To, uh, to let me talk a little bit, and I hope it's valuable for your audience. You know, the uh, I'm bad about some of these things. DrJubenville.com is D-R-J-U-B-E-N-V-I-L-L-E.com is, is where I've got other podcasts that I've been on and articles that I've written. You can search me on my Washington Times post. Just type in Washington Times Jubenville in, in the column. Uh, and then at Dr. Jubenville is my Twitter. And uh, if you just want to be friends on Facebook, it's at Dr. Jubenville there and, and at Dr. Jubenville on LinkedIn, too. Well, we will send some traffic your way, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. I'm glad we were able to connect. And, uh, man, I took lots of notes and, and took a lot from this podcast. So I appreciate you being here today. Well, hey, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to slow down enough and, and put this material together. And, um we're just getting started, so maybe we can do uh, a take two and, and do it all over again. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We love it. All right, my friend. Well, good luck this weekend at your speaking engagement, holding your wife's hand down there in Gulf Shores. Uh, <laughs> great time, we're, man. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a good time. Thank you. All right. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.